Good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we'll be beginning, uh, actually continuing our lessons there in uh, 1 Corinthians, the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. What I want to do before we begin is just read those first six verses together with you. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Just like today, Corinth had a difficulty. They were uninformed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have very similar difficulties in our day and age. If you turn on the television, if you look on YouTube and and look at some of the YouTube videos uh, on miraculous gifts and people who believe they have them and so forth and so on, you see things that become literally more theatrical than they are spiritual. You see things that uh, look like you're watching a television show on TV or a, a play at a theater. You don't really see what we notice in the scriptures over and again. And so we might grow confused. And see, that's really the advantage. The advantage of anybody that wants to be false is to confuse you, to try to baffle you. And this is one of the things, again, Paul is taking a laser focus on the divisions that are happening at Corinth, and this is one of the things he finds. One of the things he knows about, one of the things that he addresses. And he tells them they are uninformed. They're basing all that they know on what they want to do, on opinions, on suggestions. Again, their problem is very similar to the problems that we have. And so Paul sets forth a challenge here. And the same challenge goes for me and you. Whatever we think we understand about miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to put that out of our mind and let Paul speak. Let, us, let Him speak to us across time just as He spoke to them in that age, in that congregation, as He wrote this letter to them that was being read to them. This is the same idea. He wants us to put away any preconceived ideas that we have. And that's a difficulty for us. And we have to count that as a difficulty because it's always difficult for us to put away the things that we have preconceived, that we really believe are true. <laughs> You know, we grew up with this understanding. We reinforced this understanding as we studied the Bibles, the way we always study our Bibles. You know, we, we constantly look into the Scriptures and we see the same thing over and over again. So it's difficult to just put all that away and, and, and just concentrate on what the Apostle Paul is saying. And most of our mistakes in striving to be Christians really come from our preconceptions, don't they? what we think we know, or what we can affirm from God. And that's what Paul is pointing out. He's telling them what you understand about the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit is 
misinformed, uninformed. You have bad information about this. Now, he's not telling them how they receive them. In modern days, people will turn to these passages in the Scriptures and they will say, you know, we learn how we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking to people that have them. They already have them. They're already practicing them. They're already using them. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out these abilities upon all flesh, male and female alike, and he's just he's just he's just now addressing what they've done with that. And so when we look at this, this is what we see. We see people who are practicing these gifts but in an uninformed way, which is fascinating. And Paul also wants us to remember, and I think this is something that always bears remembrance while we're looking at passages like this. Paul is helping us to remember that gifts are something that that people got on Pentecost, but they're also things that they get from the apostles themselves. When we look throughout the New Testament in Acts the 8th chapter, Romans 1, 2 Timothy 1, these are just a few examples that I put up on the board there. We have to remember, if they weren't there at Pentecost to have these poured out upon them, then they had to get these powers from the laying on hands of the, the apostles. That's the only way that they could do that. And so again, we take that mirror of the Scriptures and we apply it to today. Somebody says, well, I can heal the sick. Well, no, you can't. I mean, you can give them an aspirin or something. You can give them some cough medicine. You know, you can do something that we understand medicinally, but you cannot heal them. That is an impossibility. Somebody says, you know, I can, I can speak in tongues. Well, no, no, you can't. I mean, you might know Italian, and that's impressive. But you would have had to have learned that. And so don't think that this is just something that comes upon you. No, 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 that, those are all lies and it's subterfuge. It's the things that people are trying to confuse us with. The Bible is clear on every account. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1 and verse 11 that I highlighted there, Paul always says that he wishes that he could impart some gift to them by the hands that he could lay upon them, but he doesn't know what they are. <laughs> he never tells them, I wish I could come to you and give you the power of healing. He never says that. He doesn't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He only knows that He's the vessel through which the Holy Spirit works. And that's what we know. We know that the apostles were the, were the vessel through which the Holy Spirit worked to anyone who wasn't there at Pentecost. And so when we look at these passages and we understand them, this should be our basis for reading uh, 1 Corinthians 12. This should be our basis for reading all passages pertaining to miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to come to the natural conclusion of that. When all the people that were at Pentecost died, they did not pass those on. They could not pass on those powers. And those powers were gone from those people. When the apostles died, they could pass on those powers. But then the ability to pass on those powers was no more. And so as we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, let's make sure we're looking through that lens. And not our own preconceived ideas. You may have heard since you were a child that, you know, you know, your grandma said that somebody came by and healed her broken leg, you know, and she never had to go to the doctor. That may be true. That may be something that you remember truly from your youth. 
But I can only guarantee you that that was not what happened. And you're going to say, well, you know, are you going to call my grandmother a liar? No. I'm just going to tell you that people can be easily fooled. People can be tricked. The people that claim to do this, they are charlatans, they are showmen. They are people that do not have any power. They say they possess that power. But the proof is not in hearsay. It's like somebody taking their Bible in their hand and pounding on the Bible and going, you know, the Bible says this, but then what they're saying is nowhere found in the Bible. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. No. They do not have this power. And they will never have this power. Because it had to be in these ways. And we have to be confident about that. We also have to not just go to extremes. Can you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today? You bet you can. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. We can find book, chapter, and verse that teaches us that, can't we? Are you baptized into the Holy Spirit? You bet you are. Is your life, is, is all creation, or governments, or people, or neighborhoods, you name it, are they affected by the Holy Spirit and the omniscient power of God? Absolutely. There is no question about that at all. The problem is that we have to figure out how that is. Because it's not to be questioned. It's not supposed to be an issue. This is true. It was true then and it's true now, just not in the same way. And so that was the problem with the Corinthians. They were uninformed. And that's the problem with us. We allow ourselves to be uninformed about similar things. Because we're told that the Holy Spirit comes with, from some experience. From some feeling inside of us. From perhaps a waking dream. Perhaps it, it comes in, in some very specific term that we remember or we say we remember or others have told us that we should look at it that way. It's a very difficult thing to do. The problem with us is actually understanding that we can be easily fooled. It's very difficult for us to, to handle that. There are some things, have you ever seen those magicians that put on shows and the things that they do? And you sit there and you go, wow. I love one magician when they walked up to him and they said, did you really do that? And he looks at them and tilts his head and he goes, no. It was an illusion. And I'm not going to tell you the illusion because then I can't make money. But I can make the exact same thing happen. Did you really saw that woman in half? No. I did not really do that. It's an illusion. And I just loved it when he said that. Uh, there was one particular magician whose mother saw his act and she was crying. She cried afterwards. And he goes, Mom, Mom, calm down. And you know, she thought he was in league with Lucifer or something. And she's like, well, how did you do that? Are you doing that with it? And he's like, Mom, you know this. This is my job. I don't really do that. That, that person's body did not come apart like that. It, it's a trick. It, it's, it's an illusion, you know. But there are people in all walks of life that can do similar things to that and make a lot of money and gain a lot of fame. And these are the things that possibly were happening at Corinth. Maybe not to the same extent, but maybe so. But they were uninformed about that and they had to be informed correctly. And so do we. We can't fall into misunderstanding about miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Other gifts are ours. 
you may have the great ability to give. You may have the great ability to speak. You may have the great ability to pray. You know, I think all of those are gifts. I think all of those are things that God has bestowed upon us in His providence and by His blessing to help us to glorify Him in the best way we possibly can. And and if we could all do one thing, then what useless that would be. (laughs) How useless that would be, right? We can all do many things. And that's part of what he's explaining at Corinth too. Many people can do many things. But when it comes to miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand it the way the Bible is written. There's a man named uh, named John MacArthur, and he's a commentator. And notice what he writes here in one of his common uh, one of his uh, uh, comments on the Bible on this particular passage. He says the Bible records only three periods of history in which human beings were given the gift of performing miracles. The first period was during the ministries of Moses and Joshua. The second during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And the third during the ministries of Jesus and the apostles. Each period lasted only about 70 years and then abruptly ended. You know what's funny about John MacArthur is he believes that there are still spiritual miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in our day and age. But he counts the Bible comment perfectly. I mean, he renders the Bible comment here perfectly. And there are others that you might read, other commentaries where you might read somebody have an insight into the Scriptures and you're like, that's absolutely right. And yet, these people won't even apply it to what they believe. Isn't that incredible? That's also the incredible power and omniscience and providence of God. You know, one of my favorite books to read is an, edu- is an exegetical analysis, right, that's done on the Bible. It's written by D.A. Carson. And I, and I read it and I think, wow, that's really good. And I read through those pages and I think, man, that's cool. And I write down notes and I do all of that and I read all of these things. And in the end, D.A. Carson, he's just like this guy. You know, these are not Christians who even apply what they write about, but they're such good studiers of the Bible. They can study it so well. They can, they can concentrate on it so well, uh, uh, you know, reflect on it so accurately, but yet they don't truly allow what's there to change their belief. Can we explain that in any way? That's, that's what Paul's dealing with here. Preconceived ideas. These are the preconceived ideas that sometimes get in the way of us understanding what's written there. He says there very clearly in the timeline of all history, all history. There were only 210 years out of that entire history where we had certain tangible evidence that miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit manifested themselves in all of human existence. Is less than 1% the end all of all spirituality and all faith? No. These were done for purposes. They only consumed less than 1% of all human history. And they were there for the purpose that they were there for, but then the rest of history was about proclaiming God, following Jesus Christ, doing the will of God, keeping His commandments. These are the greatest things of all. That's what the Corinthians had to understand, and that's what we have to understand. 
And that's why he says there, I want you to understand no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And you can take that to its finest degree. No one acting in the Spirit would ever try to disprove anything that Jesus said either. And many of our self-proclaimed miraculous healers in our day and age are doing that as well. And those who believe these things, they're doing that as well. And he says, no one who is who can say Jesus is Lord can say that except they be in the Spirit. If you're in the Spirit, you're going to affirm what God has, has written, what God has revealed, what God has allowed among humanity to be done. That's it. If anything fails in that, or anyone fails in that, then they are false. Look in verse 7, please, with me. Verse 7 through 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Please note that intention of miraculous spiritual gifts that came from Pentecost. He's very clear. The Apostle says these were for the common good. And they were all working together for the common good. There were no individuals. They were all doing separate things. They all had separate abilities. See, this is the problem with Corinth. They're dividing. We read later on, they actually made one more important than the other. Oh, you have this gift? You must be greater than this one who has this gift. That's what they were doing. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the point. You all are equal. It's all one Spirit giving you these gifts, and it's supposed to be for the common good. Now, wait a minute. Can I make a million dollars off of this? No. That wouldn't be for the common good. Unless you took the million dollars and distributed it evenly to everybody that was there. That would be for the common good, wouldn't it? Is that what happens today? You turn on the TV, you look on the computer, you, you find whatever source you can is a great healer. What does his or her house look like? What are they driving around in? Who are they truly helping? Why, they're helping themselves, but they're liars. And they're selfish. And see, that's what Paul is saying here. The, the, the power of these miraculous spiritual gifts is for the common good. Not for you to do something for yourself. Not for you to boast that you're better. Not for you to become rich. And they also have no connection with natural talents either. Oh, you can articulate something better than someone else. Hey, you are very charismatic. You are, must be much greater than somebody else. Hey, you could charm the birds from the trees. We say that about the leaders and the people that we love and respect, don't we? What's greatest about him? Oh, he could charm the birds from the trees. 
Well, how is he at exposing what the Scriptures say and applying them to his own life and other people's lives as well? How is he with that? I never thought about that very much. I don't think about that typically. Most of the time, I'm interested in how they're dressed. Boy, they look so sharp all the time. I bet you never see them in a t-shirt and jeans. Because these are the things that are important to us, right? And this contradicts the modern so-called miracle workers in the religious world. And it was supposed to contradict what was going on there. Some were basking in Corinth in their notoriety. Perhaps in their level of wealth or fame. And I don't think they would ever be credited with the common good. Just like ours are not easily credited with the common good. At best, they're performers. At best, they are illusionists. Perhaps even delusional about themselves. And you can't escape the fact of what Paul is saying there. They're powered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He will. See, Paul's going to take great detail through this passage that we just read to make sure they understand what spiritual gifts look like. In verse 6 there, if you go back just a little bit and look at verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Who's empowering these these miraculous gifts? Is it the individual? No. It is God who is empowering them. You remember in Acts 5, 14-15? That's just an amazing passage. <coughs> we read there and we see the Apostle walking. Right, He's walking and people are trying to get to His shadow. Isn't that amazing? They're trying to get to His shadow because they believe. Their belief is so strong that if they can get the sick person in their family into just the shadow of the Apostle, because he's so busy helping other people and they don't want to get missed, if they could just get one one little finger in that shadow, they would be healed. And they were being healed that way. And what was the Apostle doing? Walking. That's what he was doing. He wasn't sitting there in his mind thinking, shadow, cure that person of their asthma. Shadow, cure that person of their issue with blood. Shadow, you know, he's not, he's not doing anything. He is being faithful. He's walking. He is preaching. He is teaching. He didn't claim any ability beyond the perceptions given to him by the Spirit of God only. That's all he did. If you look with me in, in 2 Peter, please. Turn to, to 2 Peter, the first chapter, please. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 21. Look at what it reads there. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. A young man, a teenager, asked me just the other day, he said, Mr. Wright, don't you think that, that, you know, over time that the Bible could be corrupted. And, and so we might have something today that they didn't have then and it might be a little different. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what? I love you, buddy. I don't know what you're stretching to try to prove. And he just kind of, you know, looked at me. And I said, but understand this. 
God is so powerful and so omniscient that time would never blunt His Word. People cannot blunt His Word. They could try to get it wrong and they would still get it right. That's what blows me away about reading those commentaries. I look at that commentary and I think, that's absolutely right. If you talk to that commentator face to face, call him on the phone, send him an email, they'll look at you and go, no, I believe uh, miraculous gifts still existed. What? Look at what you just wrote. And they will skirt around it or move around it because those preconceived ideas just take them, you know, enslave them. That's the idea. And that's what I told him. I said, there's no way, buddy. (laughs) There's no way. The Bible says what it says. It means what it says. If you think you find a contradiction, you come and see me. We will study it together because there's there are no contradictions there. And that's the wonderful thing about the Scriptures. There's no way that anyone will ever get in the way because God is the one empowering it. He's the one that makes it all happen. There was no human decision or ability in the execution of this at all. It was just done. Well, this brother once went to a faith healer. Been a Christian most of his life. He had a child that was born and and, uh, um, had cerebral palsy. Very sick, very ill. And he went to a faith healer. Because I guess in your sorrow, in your broken heart, you'll do things like that. I understood that. And he said, I went there, Joe, and he goes, I took him to that kid and he couldn't heal him. And I said, I know he couldn't. None of them can. He goes, you know what you, what he told me? He said, my faith wasn't strong enough. <laughs> and I said, I know. I know because that's what they say. If this healing doesn't happen, it's not because of me. I'm, I'm a healer. I'm great. That'll be $50 and you can leave. No, I, I don't know what they do. But, the fact of the matter is, it's always about something else, isn't it? Because they're liars. And they're charlatans. And that's the idea that we see here. It has nothing to do with a human's decision or a human's ability. Jesus Christ, the apostles, they were healing sinner and believer alike. Because the power of God simply poured through them in the ways that it was supposed to for the reasons that God decided and that was the end of the matter. Well, what do we hear though about prophecy today, for example? You look at things like prophecy. We we see and we hear a lot of people that say they are either believing modern prophets or they themselves are modern prophets, right? You hear that. We see that, don't we? There are people that leave little pamphlets in my door that believe they are following a prophet of the of the last century or so. They believe that. They understand that. What do we read about that today? We read a redefinition. That's what we read. Remember what he said there in the beginning? That they were... What was the word he used there? You did not understand. You were misinformed, uninformed, right? This is what he tells them. Here's the, here's the idea. Here's the focus. Here's the base of all falsehood for all time. If I want to tell you that I am a prophet today, I have to redefine what the scriptures say about it. We hear a separate type of it. But the scriptures don't give us that. 
Here's what one person wrote. Modern prophecy is a mixture, he says, of the infallible divine Word of God and the fallible, oftentimes errant interpretation and application of men and women like you and me. That's what prophecy is today. Because after all, I can't be wrong. I'm a prophet. I'm a self-proclaimed prophet. I'm lying to your face. But I can't be wrong. So I have to redefine something. And not only will I redefine it, I will blatantly redefine it. Oh yeah, the old prophecies, yeah, those guys were dead on. The prophets, you know, Habakkuk, dead on. You know, Malachi, dead on. Zachariah, got it. No, they, they had it exactly right. Moses, you betcha. But me, right now, things are different. It's a mixture. It's a mixture. Sometimes I'm wrong. Those people that bring the pamphlets, I tell them the date and the time when the prophecy of their beloved prophet failed. And they tell me, well, we've had new light since then. And I went, what is new light? To me, new light is a different light bulb. That's all new light is. It's not the same thing. And they make this defense. This is the basic defense of all modern prophecy. You were wrong. Well, I know I was wrong, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, that's the way it is. No. No, that's not the way it is. The test has been the same since Deuteronomy 18. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. God is not, is not fooled by anyone. And we shouldn't be fooled by anyone either. If anything that prophet says do not come, does not come to pass, that is a false prophet. And we look at that and we see all of the individuals in our day and age that are really fallible. Those prophets are fallible, aren't they? They prove their falsehood by being wrong. End of story. You can pass out all the books, give me all the tracts you want. You are following a liar and therefore you are lying as well. And there's no excuse for it. If one prophecy fails, the prophet is false and must abandon his blasphemy. And so must his followers. And whether your, your prophet was someone named E.G. White or Charles Russell or Joseph Smith, I don't care what their names are. Charlatans. Liars, maybe deluded. Maybe they had some kind of insanity. But they are not prophets of God. That is a lie. And so when we read what's happening at Corinth, we can see it in our day and age, can't we? And the same principles apply. If someone claims to be a prophet today, why, they're given a lot of fame. What if someone just said, I can utter knowledge. Oh, that's that's nice, but you're not a prophet. See, and notice all these things that Paul lists there. He says, "You all are given a manifestation of the of the Spirit for the common good, and these are all equal things that all can do." But what were they doing there at Corinth? Perhaps making the one that could prophesy greater than the one who could just utter knowledge. And then they have the same problem with tongues there too, probably. Same as we have in our day and age. We have a problem with the gift of tongues, right? 
This is the one that they thought was elevating them above all others. Now that's an interesting thing. If you come to me and I know for a fact that you cannot speak Spanish one lick, and for all my life you've always said it kind of funny. You come walking into a room and you say, Como esta? Mi lamo es Joe. You know, and you say something like that, and you, you can't speak it to save your life. And all of a sudden you walk in and you're just fluent in Spanish. That's impressive. That is impressive because you never could speak that before. And that's what was going on in Corinth. That was so impressive, they elevated them. They elevated them to be the greatest among all of those that had these gifts. These miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see today too. Only the difference is, is when someone today can speak in tongues, what do they sound like? They sound like gibberish. I, I don't know if you like rap music, but to me they sound like they're rapping. <laughs> you know, that's what it sounds like. They sound like they're rapping. I don't like rap music. <laughs> I don't like that either. And it's interesting, but the, uh, the, 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 the Scriptures teach us tongues means languages. And we see that illustrated in Acts, right? If you go with me back to Acts, in Acts the second chapter, you see it, see it illustrated perfectly, don't you? Look at Acts 2, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. If you were sitting there right now and I was speaking in English and you could hear it in Spanish, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? <laughs> that is pretty impressive. Or if I just all of a sudden could speak both, which I cannot, but I all of a sudden can speak both. That would be impressive, wouldn't it? And that's what this is an illustration of. That's what we understand from this passage. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Tongues are languages. And languages are things we can understand. They make sense. Tongues are known. They're knowable. They're Spanish, Italian, Arabic, Chinese, whatever it is that you possibly may understand or know. That's what a language is. And notice verse 11 of our text again, please. In 1 Corinthians 12.11, again, we go back to that again. It is the Spirit that apportions that. It's not anything that you can do. It's not anything that I can do. And if you look back at verses 8-10 through 10 again, and we notice that, that's the point. To one is given through the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. He keeps repeating that over and over and over again. Because all of these gifts were supposed to complement one another. They were supposed to be done together in unity, in strength, for the purpose of the common good. They weren't supposed to elevate one over another. A tongue spoken could be always interpreted exactly by anyone who could speak that language. You know, you have some very saucy 
Christians out there. I, I read a story of, a, of, a, of an individual who understood Greek very well. And uh, he went to one of these tongue speakers. He went into the tent or the building or whatever it was. He walks in and he sits down and he stands up in the middle of the assembly and he, he reiterates a passage from the Bible in perfect Greek or as perfect as he could come up with. <laughs> as perfect as he knew. And he spoke it in Greek. The interpreter said something else. So that so they said, oh, you speaking in tongues. He's speaking in tongues. The interpreter said something completely out of the out of the woodwork. You know, just it didn't even make any sense. He was not saying in English so everybody could understand what he was speaking in Greek. And when he pointed that out, it was ignored. Just simply ignored. They didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want their personal perception of things changed. That's the problem. Whenever something is pointed out as false, we should understand it as false. The gifts wouldn't be uncomplimentary. The interpreter would not be wrong. And if one interpreted one thing, the other one would interpret the exact same thing. They would both be right because they're interpreting what the person is saying in another tongue. If you heard it in Italian and you could speak Italian, then the person that was interpreting it would say the same thing that you understood it in your own language. It would be the exact same thing. There would not be any difference at all. And so if prophecy and tongues are claimed to be around today, if they are here, if people believe that they exist, where's all the other part? You notice there in that passage in in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that there's an individual there. An individual that can figure out who's wrong. Do you read that there? They have the ability to distinguish between spirits. Even those who were, who were practicing these, there were people there with the ability to tell if they were abusing it or not. Do we have that today? No, we don't have that today. <laughs> you have them all getting together at a conference in Ohio or something, one going one direction and the other one going the other direction, and nobody correcting anybody. Because they're all lying. And see, if prophecy were today, if tongues were today, where are the others? In Acts 8, Philip exposed the false, uh, the false Simon. He exposed him. He showed him that what he was doing was a lie. He exposed that what he was doing was, was unlawful, was ungodly. And we read that there in Peter as well in verses 9 through 23 there in Acts 8. Everybody had these, that claim they have these miraculous gifts today. They're just entertaining everybody else that, ha- that claims they have theirs. And we have none around anymore to expose them. And that's fascinating. That's also a proof of what we can see in the scripture. There weren't only those that had the gifts. There were those that could discern if they were using them properly or not. God is wise. He's powerful. He's omniscient above all others. 
So as we look at this short passage today, verse 1 through 11, and as we consider this lesson and hopefully study it ourselves, let's look at these very easy conclusions here. We know that if somebody was at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out the Holy, uh, His power on them. We know that. Maybe not all of them had the miraculous gifts, but we know that many of them, most of them did. And they were practicing them. And we know that. And we know that everywhere else in the Scriptures apart from that, only the apostles could impose those miraculous gifts on someone else by the healing of their hands, by the, by the laying on, rather, of their hands. So if someone has to act like they can do this, or if they have to make you believe, or they have to articulate to you in some way or defend that they can do this without any proof, they're lying. And they're blasphemers. And if you, by any chance, believe any part of this, remember that that's not true. The Holy Spirit acting apart from their permission, from their knowledge, their ability. That's how these are imparted. And that just simply happens no more. The gift of tongues, that's a gift to speak in a language that that person has no idea of at all. And not only that, but it can be interpreted exactly as it is being spoken. And when we look around in our world today, the lack of all of these gifts existing as one, being used as one, together, in unison, complementary, for the common good. When we see the absence of that, we see that there are no more of these things. Is this going to be a a big deal in your life or my life? I hope not. But the fact of the matter is, there is a litany of false doctrine out there teaching lies about this very self-same topic, this very self-same idea. Day in and day out, we read about them. They will come and they will knock on your door. They will meet you at your workplace. And you and I must take up the charge against that. We have to be the people that represent the Scriptures for what they say and why they say it that way. Because we too have gifts. (laughs) You have certain gifts and I have certain gifts. Whatever those gifts may be. There are some things that we can do in an amazing way that other people cannot do. Isn't it why I'm always impressed by that each and every day. There are some people that never forget to send you a card when you're sick. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just... And I'm amazed by that. I forget to tie my shoe if I'm so busy during the day. And I think... You know, if you're sick, you're always going to get a call from this brother or sister. You're always going to get a card from this brother or sister. You know, you're you're going to get a call, a card. They're going to they're going to they're going to come over to your house. They might bring you food or something. You're just wow. Are you kidding me? What incredible people! These are just incredible things that they're doing, and they don't think they're incredible, do they? They think, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way things go. There are people that stand at the back of the building so that anybody that comes in the door, they get their handshake. <laughs> that's all there is. They say that's what they're going to do. I'm going to greet you and I'm going to make you feel good about coming into this building. That's what I'm doing. That is a great thing. 
And we sometimes just just lower that to nothing or make ourselves believe that, that it's nothing. There are brethren that get here early all the time to make sure the gates are open and they make sure the gates are closed when they leave. You know, they, they, just, they just make sure everything's okay. There are brethren that make sure the weeds are plucked, which hasn't happened yet, but we're going to get to that. There are brethren that make sure of all kinds of things. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. For the common good, that's the idea. You have gifts too. Are they miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit? No. <laughs> no, they're not. That time is over. But there are wonderful, beautiful gifts that we all have. And brethren and friends, we need to exercise those gifts. And we need to exercise them in the Lord to glorify Him for His purposes. Just as we read this morning in John, in the morning uh, class, we have to be able to do that. We have to be willing to do that. Are you? That's the question. Because if you aren't baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you have not begun to do that. And you need to begin to do that. And I ask you to, to evaluate yourself, consider yourself, think about it, study hard and pray, and understand that that path is the only path to be on. And if you are a Christian, and you've fallen slightly short of that, or gone askew of that, then just bring yourself back to center. We can always bring ourselves back to center. We don't have to be afraid. And we can exercise all of the providence of God in every way if we would just choose to do so. The lesson is for you.